Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. You are listening to the One Good Scare podcast with Natalie Zamora and Max Mello. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of the One Good Scare podcast. I'm Natalie Zamora and I'm joined by my co-host Max Mallow and we have a fun episode for you today. We figured after we reviewed Scream 5 last week and really, really loved it, had great things to say about it, we wanted to go back and look at all the movies in the Scream franchise, Um, some of the best ones, which is almost all of them, and then one just really not good one, but I think we can excuse it because of the quality of the rest. So yeah, super excited to talk about Ghostface, all the killers, all the unexpected reveals, and everything that is Scream. Yeah, I think that we should make a habit of this, because obviously there there are a bunch of remakes coming out this year. Um, Obviously, I think the most recent one coming next is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. Yeah. So it'd be fun to do a retrospective on that after rewatch the one coming to Netflix. Um and, you know, that's how we kind of started our podcast, doing these big series retrospectives. So mm-hmm. extremely excited to talk about Scream today. Um, I've said it before. The first one is the one that got me into horror movies and, you know, made me fall in love with not just the genre as a whole, but specifically slasher movies. Um, I think for a lot of people, Scream is that movie for them as well. And for me... Because I was, and I've documented on the podcast before and to you privately, how much of a scaredy cat I was as a kid, slasher movies were an easier gateway for me, you know? No, like, I can't imagine being young and having, like, friends in middle school and high school be like, let's watch The Conjuring. (laughs) If I was that age and who I was back then, living during that time, that would have not flown. I would have not been here. Completely different timeline, different variant of me, wouldn't have happened. But because Scream and the original is so funny and so meta and it doesn't take itself too seriously, it was the perfect movie for me. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that as well. And yeah, we can't just, you know, say enough how much we loved the fifth one. It was such um, a pleasant surprise. I'm so happy it was good. Um and I'm glad that I was able to, I guess, caution my expectations because that helped yeah. with my enjoyment of the movie outside of that dickhead who walked in and, <laughs> and screamed the, the spoiler of the movie. But anyway, um, so yeah, really excited to talk about the series. Uh, as always, with these retrospectives, we'll be getting into spoilers and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, if you haven't seen any of these movies, this episode is definitely not for you. Um, or if you're still trying to catch up on the series, the I believe it's on Peacock. I want to say to stream the first one or all of them. I want to say all of them. 
I have no idea. I want to say Peacock or maybe Amazon Prime. I'm leaning towards Peacock. I think it's Peacock, even though it is a Paramount movie, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's on Paramount Plus. Right now, okay. I think you're completely wrong because apparently you can watch Scream on HBO Max, Scream 2 on HBO Max, and Pluto TV, Scream 3 on HBO Max and Pluto TV, Scream 5 on Tubi and Stars. Okay, so. (laughs) They're all over the place. To justify the, you know, false information I just spit out of my mouth, (laughs) I have a smart TV and there are so many apps that I don't know which ones I click on to go to watch whatever I want to watch, so. Anyway, um, I believe yeah. I rented the fourth one on Prime Video for a little amount when okay. I watched it a few weeks ago. That's not bad. So you can probably rent almost all of them on Prime. I don't want to be spreading fake news, so I'm just going to stop now. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can search Prime and almost every movie is there, but not all of them. So That's something I've done more during the pandemic is renting movies digitally. You yeah. Know? Like it's such a good I price. Have- I'm doing it. Yeah, if it's a dollar or four dollars, it's like I would be going to the theater to see it, spend twenty bucks. So Right. I have no problem doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. So Scream. The genre many consider or is the genre, the series that many consider to have revived the interest in horror movies as a whole because of how popular it was in the seventies and the eighties. Mm-hmm. Getting into the 90s, started to get copycat movies, movies that were lower budget. I mean, you can look at, you know, some of the the big dogs, I should say, um, in the franchise or in the in the genre. Um, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween. As more and more sequels came out, people became more and more disinterested Yeah. in these movies. And they wanted something new, something fresh. And Scream was that movie in 1996 when Wes Craven, uh, one of the godfathers of horror, for many the godfather, uh, mm-hmm. you know, depending on their um, their stories with, with their love for the genre, uh, obviously made Nightmare on Elm Street. And there are some amazing movies in that franchise, some movies that are complete duds. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted to do something new. And it's super interesting that Scream ended up becoming uh, as popular as it did because it borrows a lot of the same themes from New Nightmare, which was part of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, where it was a movie within a movie and people playing themselves, and it was very, very meta. And Scream opened it up and took it out to the entire universe. You know, people weren't used to hearing other names of horror franchises being mentioned by characters and the rules yeah. of surviving a horror movie and the idea of the people in the horror movie kind of knowing they're in a horror movie. So mm-hmm. it was it was revolutionary. And it blew my mind when I first saw it. What was your first experience like with the original? Yeah. So I actually remember my older cousin, my younger cousin, who is a year younger than me, we would always like try to hang out with my older cousin because naturally – and she would be watching, you know, things we weren't allowed to watch. And I remember one time we like snuck in her room and she was watching Scream. And at the time I thought it was terrifying because I was a kid and you just see ghost face and, you know, killing. So it scared me. And then years later when I was a teenager, I watched it again. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. It's so funny. 
it has good kills and it has a good twist in the end. I was like, this is just like a perfect movie. And I, I usually stray more to straight horror. I'm not really a horror comedy person, but this is definitely an, one of the exceptions. And this is definitely one of my favorite horror movies, the first one. Yeah, the the characters and the writing, uh, obviously done by Wes and writer uh, Kevin Williamson, brought these characters to life in a certain way. Where, like, it's one of the like strongest ensembles of mm. new characters, new actors in a horror franchise, starting off a series. Um, in my personal opinion, like Jamie Kennedy as Randy, Matthew Lillard as Stu, Skeet Ulrich as Billy. And then, you know, you've got the the core three legacy characters of uh, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. And it's just awesome. Like, it it knows how to play on the tropes of, you know, surviving a horror movie, et cetera, et cetera. You know, can't have sex. You know, you never say, oh, uh, don't say I'll be right back. And you never go into the basement and all that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, it also amplifies the idea of um and this is something i believe jamie kennedy was saying in his review of the movie um of women empowerment in the movies obviously gail and 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 sydney are two very strong uh women characters and you know they evolve so much throughout the series yeah whether they're the focal point or they're you know in the new one the legacy characters um (laughs) They're great. You know, Sydney is uh, a survivor of every movie. And some might say, well, you know, it's getting to the point where she's a little bit invincible, right? But at the same time, I don't know if they would ever kill off Sydney Prescott. And if they did, yeah. it would be a huge thing. And they'd have to do it in a super, um, you know, I don't want to say safe way, but a way that the majority would agree with it. I think a lot of people would be upset overall because she's one of the the ogs i think she's probably my favorite like final girl trope character in in Mm -hmm. all of horror and the the other thing too is the villains like when you think of you know the mount rushmore of of horror villains of like freddie jason michael chucky etc etc they're all a person or you know they all have a character to themselves right Mm -hmm. and with Ghostface, it's someone playing a character. But Ghostface, no matter who it has been in each of the movies, has still become this iconic character, which is so special. And I, yeah. it's the the whodunit of it, of it being like a murder mystery and um, trying to find out the clues and and red herrings and everything like that. It, it was so well done. And then you know, I I remember where I was with my family and I think I was with my, my, my stepdad and my stepsister and we were talking about the first one and I hadn't seen it yet, but I remember my stepsister talking, I think maybe it was my stepbrother. I can't remember, but the idea of how bold it was to take someone like Drew Barrymore, a not as big as Drew Barrymore is now, you know, this is before 51st dates and, I'm going to blank completely on Drew's a megastar. She has her own talk show. Um, Yeah. You know, to take someone like Drew Barrymore, put them in the first scene of the movie, 
and then just axe her off right away. It was such a bold thing to do, and it worked. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, just from the first movie, they really created a formula that they were able to recreate pretty successfully in almost every other entry. Um, You know, the opening scene of someone either getting killed off or about to be killed off. Um, And then, of course, our ending is where we get the big reveals. And it's always someone who either the main character knows or is connected in some way. So, of course, like you said, the whodunit, it's like, you have so much more of a reason to try to figure out who the killer or killers are because you know they're going to have some type of meaning to either Sydney or to Billy or to someone who's central to the plot. Right. And I also love that a lot of the kills aren't pointless in the first one, except for the principal, uh, Henry Winkler. It's more or less just a kill to add to the body count, you know? Um, but it's also during the day, which is great because you don't expect it. That's something mm-hmm. great that Scream does is they do kills in the broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you're you're wondering who the killer is because of you know the intentions you find out throughout the movie, and then the paranoia that's setting in among all the characters with Sydney accusing Billy, and then Randy being super suspicious, and the whole line of everybody's a suspect. It's it's brilliant mm-hmm. because you don't know if someone's there to be fodder more or less to the to the body count or if they're not in a scene and they haven't died yet are they a suspect are they a red herring so i love that um but yeah the central plot of scream is a group of friends at woodsboro high school um are being terrorized by this ghost face um at the front of it is sydney prescott played by nev campbell um who is phenomenal um and uh, she has a boyfriend, Billy, and Billy is notably upset and brooding because his girlfriend won't have sex with him. It's, he's very upset about it. Um, and he's got his best friend, Stu, who's dating Tatum, who is also, you know, like, I don't know if it's, like, emphasized at all, but, like, the relationships and the way they tie everything into the movie mm-hmm. are so good. And as thinking on it more, when we come to Scream 5, I'm a little upset it wasn't explained a bit more with the relationships between each of the characters. Cause I think either you and I mentioned during our review that we missed if, um, there's so many character names, uh, I know Wes <laughs> and, oh. oh, if they were actually dating Tara, right. Tara. Yeah. And it's very spelled out in the first one, who was dating who and, and who has mm. what intentions. And, you know, Randy definitely appears like the, the, the outcast of the friend group, but he's still in the friend group through whatever reason. Yeah. But he's definitely yeah. the nerd, the smart character. Um, and they all play on, you know, on their tropes. But uh, as the movie goes on, Sydney continues to be terrorized. Uh, Gail Weathers, who's played by Courtney Cox, is this um, go-getter reporter who wants to be rich and famous and will stop at nothing to get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Dewey, who ends up being the romantic love interest of of Gail Weathers. Um, and he is Tatum's older brother, and he's also the, he's a deputy yeah. in the first one. He's Deputy yeah. Dewey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and he's trying to do his best, but, you know, he's he's he falls into kind of like the dumb cop horror trope. Mm-hmm. Like, how many movies have we seen where 
the cops show up and it's like, oh, the cops are here to save the day. And then the cop does something stupid and they die or, you know, they just don't answer. They don't, you know, so many cases of that. But um, Dewey's on the on the forefront. He's a little goofy, um, but it works. And, you know, one by one, the friends descend more into paranoia. Who's torturing them? Who is not? Billy is more or less accused of being Ghostface, but is then more or less exonerated of it um, through other means. And the the whole movie, you know, not getting into the kills and everything like that specifically, but it crescendos at this big house party at Stu's um, where you get so many iconic, memorable moments in all of horror um, mm. with the big reveal coming at the end uh, that Sydney's fears were right all along. It was Billy, uh, her her boyfriend, and not only are there one killers, not only are there one killers, <laughs> there are two killers, and it's also Stu. And this is where another part of people love to rank this type of stuff in Scream, and we'll do it as well. Um, but you have your ghost faces and your mo- and your motives, and what was yep. the motive behind? doing all of this, killing people like Tatum, the, the principal of the school for whatever reason. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna, I'm just going to call her Drew Barrymore. I can't remember her name. I know. There's so many names going in and out of my mind right now. Um, <laughs> but I swear, I'm a, I swear I love this movie. I swear. I just can't remember. Casey Becker. Casey Becker. Thank you. Um, and, um, you know, why they go through all this trouble? Well, it was Sydney's mother slept with Billy's dad. Yeah. And that caused Billy's mom to, his family dynamic to explode. And Billy set out for revenge um, and planned on framing it all on Sydney's dad, who they had kidnapped. And yeah, it's so good. It's everything is perfect about this movie. I mm. will dispute, I will not dispute that. No one can argue with me on that ever um but yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant storytelling it's taking you off of it and putting you back onto it of like trends and and who you think the killer is it's awesome yeah i agree and like i was saying like you know this formula they created with the first one i really love to how when the killers or killer is revealed that's not the end of the movie it's like like you said there's the killer but then there's also their motivations and their motivations are explained thoroughly through this kind of crazy dialogue, especially in the first movie, this crazy dialogue that Billy and Stu are having with Sydney. And it's just like that writing is so good. The dialogue is just ridiculous and you really believe their motives, at least for Billy. Stu is just a little stupid, I'm going to say. But it's still believable. I don't know anyone like that, I hope. But on screen, it is believable based on kind of just the insane conversations that they're having. And that's kind of, you know, it's not the same motivations, of course, in every movie. But it is the same, like, okay, here's a reveal. But then here's X, Y, and Z, why I did this. And it's like a whole big scene that's really thought out. Right. And it's not essentially like a copycat killer. Because obviously, you know, there have been stories in in the real world about copycat killers and modeling Mm -hmm. after some of the, the big famous serial killers uh, or infamous, I should say um, of our lifetimes. And they're not copycat killers, but they're fans of horror. So they, Mm -hmm. you know, Billy mentioned something like with, with when he's got blood on his shirt, because he feigns getting stabbed. 
um, that, oh, pig's blood, psycho, uh, you know, um, Stu going, you know, let's face it, Sydney, your mother was no Sharon Stone. And we're <laughs> talking about basic instinct and, you know, yeah. referencing all these movies where you as the viewer, you're like, I know that. I It's the Leo DiCaprio meme from, from Once Upon a yeah. Time in Hollywood. You know, you're pointing at the screen. You're like, oh, wait, I know what he's talking about. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's it's like, it's tense. It's unnerving. It's scary. And then it's also funny because like they interject things into the scene where, you know, they're like, okay, well, you know, Stu, you got to get stabbed here for this for our whole plan to go. And he's like, come on, do it. I'm ready. I'm ready. And he's like, oh, you stabbed me too deep, man. And then he throws the phone at him because, yeah. you know, Sydney calls him and starts to, to toy with him with the way that she was in the movie. He's like, And he throws the phone. He's like, hit me with a phone, damn it. <laughs> you know, my mom's going to be so mad at me. <laughs> it's so good. It, the, the writing in yeah. this one is perfect. I love it. Yeah, definitely. I don't think that any of the other entries are able to live up to the writing. A lot of them are good, but like you said, just like the dialogue in this scene, you will never forget about it. It's so good. It's so good. And then the kills too are memorable. Like Tatum in the garage door is one of my favorite kills. In yeah. I remember horror. watching that for the first time and being like on the edge of my seat because I feel like we've seen that happen in other movies after Scream. But this one was really the first time I saw something like that that was like, oh my gosh. It's like Final Destination, but not as goofy. It's like actually terrifying. Right. And you get like so many like cool like niche things in that scene with Rose McGowan, who plays Tatum, being like, oh, Mr. Ghostface, are you going to kill me? <laughs> and then, you know, the way she dies, because all we've seen so far are stabbings with a knife. You know, the killings are very simple. Um more or less. And then I believe the Am I mixing that up with scary movie? The principal fault they nope, I'm mixing it up with scary you know what I'm talking about in scary movie? Yeah. Where the guy goes on top of the school and he's like, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and, because that's like I know what you did last right. summer, right? And Ferris is like, What are you waiting for? And he's like, Oh, you are you don't think I'll do it? And he jumps. Oh god it ugh. That's how iconic like these movies and other movies of the time really are, because of course they were parodied parodied a million times oh yeah um but yeah that scene is awesome um and yeah surprisingly after all the praise you've given this movie yeah it is not the highest rated on rotten tomatoes it yeah. is only the second highest rated which is interesting um it comes in at 79 percent, and we'll obviously get into the rotten tomatoes course for everything else now of course rotten tomatoes is not the bible mm -hmm. but it is the biggest thing movie review aggregator in the world um and people go there and they trust the reviews they see on there um but if you had to give it a score what would you give it and why is it a 10 because if it's not a 10 we're gonna have problems right now i think it is a 10 um i think it's an easy sell as a 10 i was kind of thinking about it as we were just talking about it now and i was like i mean there's no point of giving it a nine just send it it's got a 10 for sure it's so iconic and just so good. And you can watch it so many times and it's still so good, even though you will you know who the killer are. killers are. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And what I loved about it on like my second or third rewatch going back and watching it is after you find out who the killers are, you try to go and find out who yeah. killed who. Yeah. Which I love. Um, 
and all the clues. Oh, it's so good. Um, but yeah, that was the first one. And interestingly enough, uh, before we get to the second one, the movie wasn't that big at the box office at first. It it kind of flopped, and people were like, meh. But by word of mouth in 1996, it did better and better the longer it was in the box office, which is something you don't normally see. Obviously, movies yeah. that are hyped up, they got big release windows, the, the weekend is big, and then more or less they start to tailor off, unless you're a Marvel movie, really, <laughs> nowadays. Um, but, yeah, because people loved this movie so much and it was so innovative more and more people want to go see it. And that's why we have the franchise we have now. Um, so, if you were one of those people in 1996, shout out to you. And if you are, I'm surprised you're listening to this podcast, but cool, thanks. Um, anyway, uh, we could probably take our first break, but we can get into yeah. Scream 2, because, you know, it doesn't stop there. You know, if you have a horror movie, talking about horror movies, you have to have a horror sequel that gets into mm-hmm. the rules of a sequel. Yeah, so let's take our first quick break, and then we'll be right back. So Scream 2 came out in 1997, again directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. This is a really good duo here for these movies. And I think we were talking about it with the Final Destination movie episode that we were saying, for the most part, it kind of got worse with every entry. Um, Not every time, but it kind of had a gradual downfall. And that doesn't happen with the Scream franchise. It doesn't get better each time, but it doesn't gradually get worse, worse, and worse until it's just trash, which a lot of horror franchises fall victim to. So Scream 2, 1997. This is a very, very great sequel. As far as sequel goes, you always kind of cringe for the worst that could happen, and this one was definitely a success. Yeah. Um, And... I remember I, I was like, I binged these movies. I wanted to get through them when I was younger. Yeah. And I wanted to I wanted to watch it more. I loved that the second one did the same exact thing that the first one did in the beginning. Yes. But it updated it and it innovated it. Um, so you still get the same kind of intro with, you know, this time instead of one character, you get two notable characters and two very notable actors in Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett. Yeah. Um, and... How do they innovate? Well, now in the Scream universe, because of the events of Woodsboro in the first movie, someone decided to make a movie about it. So you have a movie within a movie in the same way that you did in in uh, New Nightmare. And the movie is called Stab, and it becomes a huge focal point of the series moving forward. And it starts with um, two college seniors, um, Maureen and Phil Stevens, uh, played by... Or, sorry, Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens, played by Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps. And they're going to see Stab. And immediately, they go into the theater, and everyone's dressed in Ghostface costumes. You know, Ghostface has become an icon in in the, in the movie world, more or less. Um, and this opening, for me, stuck with me originally more than the first one when I watched it. Because of like the social implications that the, the opening has in, in tying in the kind of uh, like uneasy uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like 
It's like you can't trust anyone. Right. But I think also when I watched it, it was, you know, we, we've obviously lived through tragedies in, in, uh, of shootings and movie theaters and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I don't know if I watched this movie before the tragedy with The Dark Knight. But obviously, you know, it has a lot of connections and kind of allegories to that, right? Yeah. Um, because at the, the showing, uh, first, Phil goes into the bathroom and he dies. Uh, so, you know, not only is it uh, one focal character we really have, uh, even though two people do die in the, the beginning of the first one, um, Casey's boyfriend is more or less just there to be just blood and guts and pretty gory. Um, but he dies. He's he's killed by this new ghost face. And then um, a ghost face character goes and sits next to Jada Pinkett and kills her right there in the middle of the theater. And she's stabbed in the stomach walking down the aisle like, in terrible pain, realizing that like, these are her last moments. And everyone in the theater thinks this is just part of the big premiere, which is so like, I can't imagine like if that was to happen in real life and no one's believing you, you know, everyone thinks you're this actor that's coming in to, you know, get everyone hyped up. It, it freaked me out as a kid. Yeah, it really is super chilling, especially because like, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, how public this is compared to the first opening because of course the first opening is a woman inside her house home alone that's scary on its own you know as someone home alone you're nervous what if somebody's gonna try to come to my house what if you know anything could happen but somewhere where you're in public for the most part you think you're safe you're just going to see a new horror movie and it's just it's terrible and i i really love this opening because it's not what i expected at all and of course, like you said, the stab movies are now going to be a huge part of the series going forward. And it's just, it just seems too real. Like, of course, they're going to make a movie based on a tragedy that happened. Of course, people are going to go and be idiots and dress up as a real life villain, which is awful on its own. And it's just kind of the cherry on top that, oh, now there's another murder, multiple murders in this movie theater. It's crazy. Yeah. It spooked me out. It it absolutely got under my skin. Um, but, you know, I don't think people give the credit to this scene as being as iconic as the first one because of... Especially, too, because this was parodied in one of the scary movies. So it always gives me, like, I have, like, some comedy thoughts, you know, vibes about it just right. because of that. Yeah. Those those damn scary movies. Even I though I did love them as a kid, they they're funny. I mean, some parts of them are still pretty funny. Yeah, a lot of it didn't hold up. That's okay. As soon as they started to get into like movies that necessarily weren't horror, like the mm-hmm. third one spoofs Eight Mile for whatever reason. Yeah, and just okay, um, and you know that's he's you know he puts on he flips his hood up on his hoodie and then. It, it looks like he's wearing a KKK hood. Um, and he's like, I think it's, I think it's, um, oh, who is that? I can't remember the actor, but he's like, uh, lose the hood. And he goes, yeah, I know. We're in the hood. And I'm like, oh, God. It doesn't even sound remotely the same. I know. I just, 
Oh God, those they are the scary movie franchise, you know, for a reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the um, the opening is great. I love the opening, um, and I like how this one also gets right into way of establishing the rules of a horror sequel. And I love how mm -hmm. it kind of talks about the idea of sequels and why yeah. some sequels are held in higher regard to the original movies. Um, yeah. Which for some, you know, that might be the case with this franchise, but um, they get into like the idea of the Godfather and people who like Godfather part two more than the original or Terminator two judgment day more than the original. Um, I fall into the latter Terminator two is one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. <laughs> um, but you know, also between that, it, this movie starts to kind of confuse you if you're not paying full attention to like all the meta tendencies and everything like that. Cause mm -hmm. you have people playing your famous actors playing the characters of the first movie in stab as well. So like Heather Graham and Luke Wilson and Tori Spelling are playing characters in stab that mm -hmm. are in, it gets kind of confusing if you don't fully follow along. Um, but I like that the characters do have progression because they're at college now. You know, yeah. Sydney's trying to go on with her life. Um, which is good, and that's kind of always Sydney's mo in these movies. Is I just like, can I just live my life? I want to go to the next thing, and I like that. Um, you know, you mentioned Final Destination. Allie Larder's character from the first one to the second one, she kind of loses it more or less, and she ends up in a um, in an institution and wants to be surrounded by nothing yeah. but padded walls because she doesn't. She knows that death is coming for her. Yeah, um, and. I, you know, obviously she ends up dying anyway, which is so, ugh, those movies. Um, but I love that as the, the focal character, she always wants to push on and, you know, and, and prove that she's a survivor and she's stronger. And every experience that she has in these movies makes her a stronger person. Up until the point of the fifth one where it's like, yeah, I'm Sidney Prescott, of course I got a gun. And I'm like, cool, badass, like, let's go. Um, but yeah, um, you have Randy, Dewey, Gail and Sydney all returning for the second one. And then you get some new characters. Um, Sam Michelle Geller's in this one, mm -hmm. uh, who plays uh, Cece, um, who is a sorority sister. Um, Jerry O'Connell, who plays Derek, who is Sydney's new love interest. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, I saw this movie way after I saw Kangaroo Jack, so I just couldn't get that out of my head. Um, <laughs> Timothy Oliphant uh, plays Mickey Altieri, who's also part of the college friend group. Yeah. And um, you also get the introduction of Cotton Weary uh, by Leif Schreiber, who is um, the kind of main red herring in the first one. And everyone kind of thinks it's Cotton yeah. who's doing all the killings. But he becomes more of a character in two and three. Um, and yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on the second one? Because they do a lot of things right. But one of my favorite things about this movie is that they, the movie becomes more violent. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the two ghost faces... Oh, anyway, uh, the ghost faces in this one um, are a little more sadistic in how they want to get their killings done. Yeah, I agree. I really like this one. Like I said, I think it's a fair sequel, probably better than people had imagined it would turn out. I think this one might be the most meta out of the whole series, just because, like you said, they talk extensively about how horror sequels are supposed to go and 
of course, the Stab movie just came out, which is going to be a, a whole new franchise. Um, so I think in that regard, this one is really, really smart. And it's it's really clean. Like, there's not too much I think is wrong with it. It's just not as good as the first one. But I think it's really smart. The kills are good. And the killer reveals, I don't mind them. I think they're pretty good. Not my favorite, but I think they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, without getting too much into the plot um, of it, you know, we'll do that for the first one because it sets the stage and it's my yeah. favorite horror movie and it's our mm-hmm. podcast. Um, you know, the, the kills go as they go. Um, unfortunately, Randy does die in this one, uh, yeah, which, is, which is really sad. Randy's one of my favorite characters ever. Um, and he was definitely like the, the guiding light, the, the Gandalf more or less, you know, yeah. showing the way. Um, and, uh, his death is pretty, pretty brutal. Um, it's like pulled into a van and just like stabbed a bunch and ugh, very, very gory. I do like how the gore is upped in this one. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, going through all the plots and everything like that, the movie kind of crescendos, uh, at the end, uh, in the school's auditorium where they're putting on a play. I can't remember the name of the play. Um, yeah. but, um, it is revealed, uh, that the killers are one, um, a character by the name of Debbie Salt, uh, who is a local journalist, uh, but is then revealed to be uh, Mrs. Loomis. Um, so it's Billy's mom. And mm-hmm. Billy's mom wants revenge for what happened to Billy. Which, yeah. cool. Get it. Believable. Yeah. Um, then you get uh, the second ghost face, which is Timothy Oliphant, um, or Mickey. Um, and his reveal might have landed better for me if they didn't do that stupid dancing song and dance number in yes. the cafeteria. I hate that scene so much. Um, but... I also just like, I don't really buy his buy-in. Like it's basically just explained that like she paid him and he's just like a psychopath. So he said, yes. Right. Eh. It's one of the weaker ones for sure. But I guess she needed help. Yeah. I guess if you're going to enlist somebody, might do enlist, uh, you know, uh, a psychopath who's willing to do it for money, I guess. Um, but, yeah, obviously, I like the reveal of a character not saying who they are. Um, yeah. And then the motivation of um, of it being Billy's mom is really, really good. Uh, I do like that. And as far as Mickey goes, it's tough. It's between him and the third one, the third ghost face, which we'll reveal. Um this one is so stupid. Yeah. Those are both the worst, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But, yeah, what ends up happening um, is that Cotton ends up being the one to save the day. And the, and the movie kind of reconciles the two. Um, because in the first one, Cotton is framed for killing Sydney's mother. And then he ends mm-hmm. up getting exonerated in, in the beginning of this one. Um and Gail is trying to get the two together because Gail and Sydney aren't like BFFs yet. Um, but um, yeah, it ends with Cotton and this this whole thing of like Sydney being like, "No, nah, talk to Cotton. Like, you know, he's the fame. Like, he's the one who saved the day mm-hmm. and stuff like that." So I guess that's supposed to be her. You know, again, what I like about it, she just keeps pushing on. She just keeps moving forward. Yeah. She doesn't hold a grudge, and she's someone that probably should, just based on what she's been through. Oh, yeah. Especially with the Loomis family. 
It's <laughs> just like, which is interesting because we'll get it. Obviously, the fifth one is a huge part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. Um, it is a strong sequel, um, and a worthy entry in the franchise. Not mm-hmm. better than the first one, but as far as second movies go, it's up there. Yeah. You no, know, there are a lot of things to like about this movie, um, and some things not to like about this movie. Um, like that stupid song and dance number <laughs> in the cafeteria, which is just so pointless. And like, you get Tim the Olivant, who I love yeah. as an actor. I love him. And he's just doing like that, da da, da da, da da. And I'm just like, this is so stupid. I hate this. Um, but yeah, so the big thing we kind of hinted at before is that this movie is actually rated higher than yeah. the first one on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got 81%, which is. I. Ugh. I don't really get it at all. I don't. Like like we've been saying, this is a worthy sequel. They did a good job. The first one is a lot better, but what would you rate this one out of 10? I would say... The first one's a 10. Yeah. I'd say like a 6. Okay. I'm saying a 7. Okay. I said... Well, you know what? I'm going to adjust my score of the fifth one in this in this episode. So See, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, it's, yeah. I don't know, it's the same, we'll get to it. Yeah, so maybe, okay. a, maybe a seven is fair. I, I think a six is harsh. So yeah, maybe a seven is fair. Okay. Um, so yeah, delete that from the script. I'm watching you in Google Docs. <laughs> Just both of us, a seven. Um, seven. But yeah. And I was just going to say, and now we're going to get to the weakest entry which just i don't know what the hell they were thinking me either it's also interesting and important to note that scream one and two only had a year gap between uh, both mm-hmm. of them coming out so they were like cool this movie this this first one did really really well people want more let's let's get another one in the can and the quick turnaround with the quality of the movie is definitely something to give it praise for yeah Absolutely. And it's interesting that, you know, we said the first two were directed by Wes Craven. The third one is as well. But there's a different writer coming on for Scream 3 in Aaron Kruger. Not familiar with him, but... Not not Jaeger either. That's an Attack on Titan joke. Okay. Uh, I was like, no, over my head, lost me there. uh, You got to watch Attack on Titan, to be completely (laughs) honest with you. Um, so not blaming the failure that Scream 3 is on this writer at all. Just something to note. Something to note. Yeah. Um, so the third one, which came out in 2000, um, is... (laughs) It's pretty Uh, bad. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So the reason why I can't rate this lower than I'm going to is because we get the legacy characters. It's still the same story, which is great, but the direction they take it is just garbage. So many things don't make sense literally at all. It's such a stretch. And this is the one where they use the voice changer, right? Yes. Which is, I don't mind the voice changer. I find that interesting as a innovation. so cheap though it's just like all right now you can do literally anything because you have this yeah it does kind of break the rules right yeah but yeah this one like i mentioned you know the new nightmare references this movie is as close as new new nightmares it gets because the movie takes place 
on the movie set with the actual yeah. characters playing the characters in Stab Three, yeah. which is extremely convoluted. Um, it seems like like it makes no sense as we're talking about it, but when you watch it, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, and this movie also was the subject of a number of rewrites and Mm -hmm. it got like ripped apart by the MPAA, the motion picture AA, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, um, where the kills were, uh, you know, changed a lot to be more appropriate, more or less appropriate Mm -hmm. to weird word, uh, to describe this, but, uh, you know, for screen, it's not as gory. Uh, the kills definitely feel watered down, uh, and that yeah. had an effect on everyone's um, perception of the movie. But it's important to note that. So, you know, you can take some of the criticism away to understand that there were issues that affected this movie. But the movie yeah. still came out, and they still asked you to pay money to see it. So, you know, right? I don't think that the movie was even bad because the kills weren't as crazy i don't think that's even like anything i think of when i think of the third movie i just think of the fact that it makes no sense yeah but i will say i think it is pretty cool which i didn't really think about only because we're talking about these movies like in succession that in the second movie at the end there we're seeing in the first movie we're seeing like cotton is a villain we think because he could have actually killed cindy's mom da 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 all of this Second movie, he comes out a hero. Third movie, he's just killed in the opening scene. So they're just like, no fucks given, which I have to appreciate. You get attached to someone and they're gone. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting. And they show the, the voice modifier, you know, pretty much early on that you have to yeah. kind of figure out what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's a very weird scene. Because Cotton is like antagonized by Goatface. Uh, Ghostface that uh, his girlfriend is being attacked yeah. and then you know then they're trying to figure out who's being kind of messed with and who's not and then you have this whole like thing where the uh, the girlfriend um, who's played by uh, uh, what's her name another notable act, uh, actor uh, da, 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 da. Uh, I, I will figure it out once I am able to look through Kelly Rutherford um, and like you know oh from Gossip Girl yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mrs. Vander uh, Miss Vander Woodson yes yeah. yes um, it, you know she thinks that Cotton is messing with her and then Cotton you know because you have like the scene where Cotton's like I'm gonna come in there I'm gonna rip your guts out and I'm just like what the hell is going on like yeah I am so it's- confused it is weird. It is like I like the idea of them doing that, but the way that they pulled it off is just weird. It's really weird. Um and yeah, like the characters aren't as likable. Um some of the themes in it and it gets like too meta up until a point where yeah. as someone who loves meta as a like a theme in a movie, it's it it, it is just so confusing. Um, and yeah, the movie, you know, does have things that make it new. The voice changer, which I kind of like you, you're not a fan of it. Um, you also have the idea that in this one, after two movies of there being two ghost faces, 
This is the only movie in which there is one ghost face. Um, yeah. So, uh, new, I guess. Yeah. It's like, I don't mind the fact that there was only one, but it's usually more fun when there's two, especially because it just makes it more realistic that that many people were able to be killed without being revealed, I guess. Right. And one thing that I kind of hate in this movie um, are the red herrings. Like yeah. Patrick Dempsey, who plays Kincaid, who's the uh, a direct uh, a director, a detective trying to figure out what's going on. He's like, there's a lot of red herring things that are thrown at him. Um, but the some of the characters in the movies, uh, in the the stab movies, mm-hmm. are like named after real life actors. So you have someone named Tom Prince. And Prince is spelled exactly like Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince, yeah. You have uh, Parker Posey who plays Jennifer Jolie. You have Emily Mortimer who plays Angelina Tyler. <laughs> so, like, even there, you combine yeah. two characters and you get Angelina Jolie. Right. Uh, you know, it's just, it is, if, if, I would recommend to watch New Nightmare over this movie, like, infinitely, because New Nightmare is a more coherent movie. It does basically exactly what Screen 3 did later. And it's just, it's not as good. Um, plus, yeah. they, they bring Jamie Kennedy back in a stupid way. They're like, oh, we found a videotape with Jamie on it. And and I guess Randy's going to explain now the rules of the third movie in a horror franchise. And I'm like, that's kind of, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. Like, Yeah. Kind of lazy. Yeah. It was lazy, and it's just, like, more of the same. Like we said, there's some things different that they changed, but it just wasn't enough. I don't know. And I guess we can talk about the kill reveal, the ghost face reveal, because I don't like this either. Yeah. Before we do that, though, there are two things I forgot to mention. Yeah. Excuse me. One, Carrie Fisher's in the movie. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. That's a plus. Yeah, that is a plus. R.I.P. to the legend. Um, but I believe, you know, she she has this meta line about being Prince Leia. Yeah, I and, think she, like, tried out for the part or something like right, that. Right, and that because she wouldn't sleep with George Lucas in this movie yeah. universe, she didn't get the part. And yeah. I haven't done much reading on it, but it seems after the Harvey Weinstein scandal that there was kind of a post-evaluation of, of some of the things in the movie. Because the movie definitely has a lot of meta-commentary on Hollywood as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very... I was, you know, after the Weinstein stuff, it was a very popular topic to, to you know, and the, the idea of um, the Me Too movement and everything like that. So I've, it's weird to think of that, like that that was in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it is Carrie Fisher. And if you don't like Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher, and also Billy Lord, who is amazing... Um, yeah. Like, don't even, don't even talk to either of us. Um, but the thing that I hate the most about this movie, because we'll get into the killer, and I do not like the killer, okay. um, is the stupid ghost of Sydney's mother that they bring into the movie. Mm-hmm. It is the stupidest plot device ever, and I hate it. It's just like, what is the point of adding this now? Because you know, some people after seeing the fifth one were like, "Oh, look, see, they've already talked to ghosts before." Or they have, they have the idea of ghosts. I just the way they do it in five is way better than they do it in three. 
Yeah, yeah, because in five, it's not like a literal ghost. It's just like she's like, it's just like a vision. I don't know. It seems a little different. It's yeah. I don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the the kills aren't great. The story's not great, and the ghost face, uh, which is revealed to be Scott Foley, who plays Roman Bridger, and he is the director of Stab Three. Yeah, and he is the one doing the killings. Just him by himself, and yeah, he stinks. <laughs> yep, and his motivation is he's actually the half brother of Sydney. Stupid. I yeah, I don't like it. It's just like grasping at straws at this point, and they could have done something more creative. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, I don't like it. Uh, and then the movie ends with. Dewey and Gail being uh, engaged, together. which is mm-hmm. great. Um, Sydney's walking a dog home, and there's like this symbolic thing of leaving, leaving the door and stuff like that open. And she's with Detective Kincaid now, Patrick Dempsey. Um, and who knows if she's still with him in Movie Lord because we don't hear from him ever again. Nope. Um, but maybe he went off. Maybe he went off to be a doctor somewhere. Probably. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah. Again, movie ends with the same theme. Sydney pushing on, being stronger. Yeah. Again, which is great. And I do like the, the the symbolism they use there at the end. Where, you know, she's kind of, you know, over it all now. She's got through it all. And mm-hmm. more or less that's what kind of what we thought of it. Because there was a long break between three and four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. So what would you give Scream 3 out of 10? Uh, so... Rotten Tomatoes, 41. Good job. You know, back on that on that Bible trend. We lost faith there in the second book. But, you know, we're back on third book. Uh, <laughs> we got a 41%. I will give it a three. Okay. Three. <laughs> I will give it a four. Do we have to be on the same? Do we have to vote the same? No, 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 no. I just, I course corrected my second score because... Okay. Six is harsh. I think six is too harsh for this for the the second one. And I was going to give it a seven in my head, but then I realized I gave the fifth one a seven, which means now I'm gonna have to update my rating of the fifth one because I do think it's better than a seven now. So three and four averages out to a three point five, but we don't do that here. <laughs> cool. So let's take our final break and we'll get into screen four. I know we already talked about screen five, so we can make that pretty brief. So we'll be right back. Okay, Scream 4, like we said, takes place 11, or the movie came out 11 years after Scream 3, which is a very, very, very long time. I wonder if Wes Craven was kind of like, all right, third one didn't do so hot, let's uh, clean this up, revisit it maybe, or maybe he didn't have plans to revisit it and then eventually did. But Scream 4 is directed by Wes Craven. Kevin Williamson comes back as a writer Thank goodness, because this movie is better than three, definitely. Yeah, this is the first one I saw in theaters, because uh, I was of age at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I just turned 18, or was about to, no, I, 17. How old do you got to be to go to R-rated movie? 17? 17. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. so I was of age. Um, my first, I could buy a ticket in. I was, <laughs> was cool enough then. Um, but also, I wanted to, uh, I just remembered why the movie was watered down. And it was because the movie came out post-Columbine. So everyone was yeah. very sensitive to, to violence 
in, in movies right. and media back then. So that's why the movie got watered down. So that is something to take into consideration with the kills in, in Scream 3. But it's still a 3 out of 10. So, um, yeah, the first one I saw in theaters, I hate the way this movie looks because it's shot with some stupid film grain over it where everything kind of looks oversaturated or whatever. And I don't know technical terms. I'm not a movie, yeah. not a movie director or a cinematographer. But it looks weird. You know, foreheads look shinier than they need to. And it's just, it's really weird. Um, but this one uh, centers on a new cast of characters now. Um, uh, and the idea of reboots and remakes in horror, more or less, um, which is kind of the same thing that Five does a little bit, but I like the way Five does it better. Um, yeah, okay. But the characters in Four are really good. Um, Emma Roberts, Hayden Panettiere, uh, Kieran Culkin, uh, obviously our legacy trio. Um, they're they're great. I do like the characters a lot. Kirby is one of my favorite Scream characters ever. Um, yeah, she's and, you know, maybe because of the Scream 5 Easter egg that she's alive somewhere. Maybe we see her in the sixth one if they make it. Radio Silence, you should do that. Um, and, yeah. This movie, though, has one of the... It has, in my opinion, the worst opening. You think so? I hate this opening now, going back and looking at it. Because back then, I was like, okay, cool. Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin. Especially Anna Paquin. You know, this yeah. is when I was in my True Blood hype, I was like, oh, my God, it's okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like a movie within a movie within a movie going on here because... Like ten times. Yeah, it's like the opening to Stab 7 is 6 and 8 is 7 and six. it is so confusing. And I hate it. And even, like, Amy Teagarden, who's in the actual opening of what's going on after we get out of the stupid movie... Like right. roller coaster, um, is like this doesn't make any sense, and she's right; it doesn't make any sense. Um, mm-hmm. And then once we get into the actual Ghostface killings of four, it's just some weird writing. Like Amy T. Garden is talking to Ghostface about how she has a four GPA, and I don't know how a four GPA and her like ridiculously high IQ are supposed to prevent her from getting killed in this moment by Ghostface. Right. So, anyway, cool. If that's what you're going to use to intimidate a serial killer. Yeah, cool. I have. I I like don't hate this opening, but it does go a little too far. I think this one also is like a little trying too hard with the meta aspects. Um, I think if it happened once or twice, it would be good. But it's multiple times <laughs> to the point where you're just sitting there laughing. Like, okay, am I supposed to take any of this seriously? Right. You're like, when are we getting to the actual movie? Right. I liked it when I first saw it. It's just it hasn't aged well with me. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, you know, is what it is. But yeah. it's definitely down there with Scream 3. Um, when we get to ranking them all, it's yeah. going to be tough for me to decide. Um, but yeah, so this one uh, surrounds uh, a new cast of characters, like I mentioned. Jill, Kirby... Mm-hmm. Um, Charlie, Rory Culkin, not Kieran. Excuse me. We always we did this last week. Yep, yep. Um, Trevor, Robbie, and Olivia. Those are our new high school characters. Um, mm-hmm. And then in doing so, 
we also revisit Sydney, Gail, and Dewey. Um, Gail and Dewey are now married. Uh, Gail is trying to write a book and is struggling very much doing so. Um, Dewey is now the town sheriff, so he's gotten a promotion. Good for him. Um, and Sydney is also an author now, a self-help author. Um, mm -hmm. So the thing that she got at Gail for in the beginning of the series, yeah, uh, she's now become that. So, uh, yeah, but the friend group is as tight as it has been with these three in this entry. And I like this movie, and I really liked it when I saw it because they do a lot of fun things. But after seeing the fifth one, my opinion of this movie has kind of gone down a little bit, especially with the way the movie looks. Like, it is a bit of an eyesore at times. Yeah. Uh, the gore is good. The kills are good. I do like the ghost faces in this one. Mm -hmm. Me too. Um, but it does just have... It, it like... The writing dipped a little too much into the cheesy portion yeah. at times. Especially at the end. It gets really kind of cheesy. Um, but... Yeah, I like how it's like the the adults now are like going in and trying to figure out, and they're trying to solve the murder mm -hmm. with all the kids, even though Sydney is still the target. Years later, the people are still trying to kill Sydney, which has yeah. got to suck. Um, but some of the characters are good, and they do a lot of the same things of rehashing the the tropes of the first one mm -hmm. with Trevor who. Is Jill's ex-boyfriend, uh, and Jill is Sydney's cousin. Um, you know, he's being very brooding and very upset about a lot of things, um, and he's m more dark in his like tone and nature in the beginning of the movie than Billy. Mm -hmm. Like when you first watch the first one, you don't suspect Billy, or you do when you're smart, cool. Um, <laughs> but Trevor's just—it's very weird how Trevor's character is portrayed. He has some yeah. really weird lines and dialogue. Um, and yeah, it, I don't know. What do you think of the fourth one? I really like, don't feel strongly about it either way, good or bad. I think it's fine. I do really like the ghost face reveals and I like how this is the first one that like the main character is actually ghost face. Right. That's really awesome. I do really like the ending. I think the first time I watched it, I've only seen it a couple of times, but the first time I watched it, I did not suspect that at all. Um, so I love that. But beyond it, I think it's pretty forgettable. There's nothing like that I can recall that I'm like, oh, I love that, or oh, that sucked. It's just all meh. Yeah. Also, I forgot. There's this really stupid cop scene with... <laughs> Adam Brody and Anthony Anderson, who in yeah. fact is the guy in Scary Movie Three, who's like lose the hood, and then what? Whatever his <laughs> name is, is like yeah, we're in the hood. <laughs> um, yeah, you get like the kill. the The first kill is cool because you get this out of focus shot of Ghostface running up uh, to mm -hmm. Adam Brody and just killing him as Anthony Anderson is sitting in his uh, cop car talking to him, mm -hmm. and then Ghostface stabs Anthony Anderson in the forehead and then gets out of the car and starts to walk around and like shadow box with Ghostface even though he's not in front of him and Ghostface is just standing there being like what the hell is going on <laughs> um, and he has a stupid one liner that I can't remember 
and then yeah. it just falls down. I'm like, that was weird. Yeah. And it wasn't as funny, I think, as maybe I thought it was funny when I was a kid, but mm -hmm. now it's just not funny. Um, and yeah, there, there's some kind of pointless deaths here um, to add to the body count. The the kills kind of become more and more unimportant through the first four with the mm -hmm. main characters. Um, like Alison Breeze in the movie, she plays uh, Sydney's publicist and she dies. She gets thrown off the parking garage onto a cop car. It's pretty gruesome, pretty gory. Um, yeah. And for what? <laughs> for why? Yeah, I don't understand. Um, ugh, I don't know. Uh, but I do love the the theme of one, uh, Robbie and Charlie, uh, the two best bros, um, who are they run uh, Cinema Club. You know, it's mm -hmm. Cinema Club. It's not Movie Club. Um, and uh, they want to host a Stabathon because they're such big fans of the franchise. Um, and I do like stupid. that about them. You you think it's mm -hmm. stupid? No, I think it's stupid of them to hold that event knowing that people are going to get killed. But I do like them. And obviously, obsessive movie buffs, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. But stupid move of them to hold a Stabathon. Similar to in the first movie, why are you having a party? The fifth movie, why are you having a party? Right. Um, so yeah, there are some weird things about it. Uh, even though like Robbie and Charlie are kind of supposed to be Randy. Kirby is definitely Randy. Like she's the smartest. She knows the most. Mm -hmm. Um, it's an awesome scene where like she's being, uh, questioned in the same way that Casey is in the first one. And then she just like rattles off a list of 20 horror franchises. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that she's alive apparently because I want more of Kirby in the sixth one, if she does come mm -hmm. back. Um, but yeah, some of the rules they also add, because they get into the idea of reboots and remakes and stuff like that, and later on sequels of reviving a franchise. And one of the rules they come up with is, like, to pretty much survive a modern horror movie, mm. you have to be gay. And I remember being like, I don't understand that. And yeah. nowadays, I don't understand it at all either. Um, and it, like, comes back towards the end of the movie when Robbie is getting killed by Ghostface and he tries to say that he's gay to save his life. Weird. Weird. Doesn't land. Um, yeah. And it's just weird. Um, but yeah, the first reveal is cool um, because towards the end of the movie, after people have been killed off, they obviously end up at a house. It's not a party. Um, mm -hmm. because the Stabathon is the party. They all, the party, yeah. yeah, there's a town curfew and they all still go to the party anyway, but then they <laughs> go home. Um, and, uh, Kirby is starting to fall for Charlie and, you know, yeah. and Trevor walks in and is like, whoa, were you two about to like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, what, what is going on? <laughs> and it's really weird, but. They kind of, again, reimagine re the scene of Casey and her boyfriend um, from the first one, except uh, Charlie's alive. He's sitting in the chair, and Kirby's trying to save his life mm -hmm. from Ghostface. Um, and she's like, I did it. I beat him. I won. And she goes outside, and then the big reveal right then and there is that Charlie's actually one of the Ghostfaces, which I really like. I really like that first reveal. And mm -hmm. then as Sydney gets onto the scene and is like, trying to figure out what's going on because 
uh, her aunt. Is it her aunt? Yes. It, or her sister? No. Her cousin? Cousin. I remember in the beginning it was a little confusing. I was like, how exactly are they related? Jill's mother and Sydney's maternal aunt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Um, she dies, <laughs> yeah. and you know there's red herrings with uh, Judy Hicks, played by Marley Shelton, of being the killer and everything. Yada yada yada. But it leads to Sydney wanting to go save Jill. Sydney arrives, and then the boom. The second reveal is that her own cousin is the ghost face, the other ghost face, which is great because her motive is that she wants to be famous. She wants to be the next Sydney Prescott. Yeah. I love it. I buy it. Um, Emma Roberts is so good. I love her so dearly. Um, and I think she does a great job playing Jill and just that reveal of just, yeah, you know, she's living in Sydney's shadow. She wants, you know, something similar to happen to her. So that's what she's going to stage it as. And it, it's great. I buy it definitely more than Charlie who is apparently Jill's secret boyfriend who went along with it. It's like, sure, there's nothing wrong with it, but I think Jill's reveal is a lot more powerful. Yeah. Uh, and then I love also that in this case, Jill is like, it's got to be just me, and she kills off the other ghost face. Yeah. Which I really like. And, and yeah. Charlie's like, well, you stabbed me too deep there. Like, well, that's not what we rehearsed. Wasn't the plan. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the plan. What are you doing? She's like, everyone loves the, the solo star or whatever. And Yeah. I like that. And then you get this whole scene of her injuring herself to make it look like that she was the survivor and she lays next yeah. to Sydney. And obviously the twist at the end is that Sydney survives and then her and Gail and there's this big reveal about, you know, there's some stupid line that makes Dewey remember why... Or no, Gail's in the hospital bed mm-hmm. and... Jill's like, oh, yeah, you guys have matching stab wounds. And Gail's like, how would she know where I got stabbed? And Dewey's like, oh, my God. So that's the whatever. That's how they connect the yeah. two. And then there's a stupid line about, like, can I just say one last thing before I die? And Jill's like, whatever. And he's like, clear. And you're like, the hell kind of last word is clear? Well, clear because Sydney has two defibrillator pads. And that's yeah. how she kills Jill. She shocks her with the pads in the head. And then Judy Hicks is revealed to be alive. She's like, wear the vest. Save your chest or something. I don't know. Oh, God. It just gets too corny. Yeah. yeah. It just feels... Yeah, because Gail's like, Hicks, you're alive? And I'm just like, this is weird. It's weird. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it gets too silly. It's a good reveal, and then it kind of gets muddled by too much talking, too much dialogue. Agreed. But, so this one, uh, definitely better than the third movie. Like we said, the Rotten Tomatoes score is a 61%, so not rave reviews, but definitely not a failure. Um, better than 10, three. Yeah. Out of 10, what's the score? I think six. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. I think the six is a fair score. Um, and then, yeah, we can briefly talk about five. We reviewed five last week. Um, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was great. It was everything that you would want from a movie being rebooted. Um, and it was the first screen movie not directed by Wes Craven, obviously, since he passed after four, um, which was terribly sad. Uh, but this one was directed by Radio Silence, uh, the team of Matt Bettinelli, Open, and Tyler Gillette, uh, the best a man can get. Uh and they did the Ready or Not movie, which you and I both love. 
Yep. Uh, and it was written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. Um, if you want to listen to our full review, go ahead and check out that episode for sure. Um, the killers in this one, uh, we talk about them real quickly. They are revealed mm-hmm. to be Amber and Richie. Um, Richie being the boyfriend of our main character, uh, Sam. And Amber, who is in the friend group. Um, and yeah, their motives for this are that they are diehard fans of the Stab franchise. And they want mm-hmm. people to make a better movie now. So they want to give them better source material. Which is great. It's a better... It's like taking uh, uh, Charlie and uh, Robbie. Oh. It's like taking Charlie and Robbie from there being like super fans of the Stab franchise. Yeah. And making them the killers. Yeah. Um, and it's great. It has a lot of amazing cinematography that calls back to the first one. Uh, this is the strongest ensemble of characters outside of the first one. The mm-hmm. the actors and the characters in this one are done so well. They hit all the notes of what you would want from a movie that was made, what, 11 years later? Um, yeah. And talking about Hereditary and Midsummer and Halloween 2018 and the idea of the requel and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Go see it if you uh, want to feel comfortable enough, obviously, during COVID. Um, or wait for it to come out on demand because it's great. It's so good. I love this movie. I love it, too. And I know you were saying you were rethinking your score. And I'm with you. Um, in our last episode, we both gave it a 7. We thought an 8 might be too high. 7.5. There's no point of doing 7.5. The Rotten Tomato score is a 78%. Again, we don't have the base R ratings off of that. But are you leaning more towards an 8 now? Because we gave Scream 2 a 7. I am leaning more towards it. Um, just yeah. to have more time to sit with it and think about it. Um, it's just, it's written better. The lines are better. Some of the things that we criticized for it, I was like thinking about it more. I'm like, eh, maybe being too harsh. Yeah. And... I was thinking, because we were like, we love this movie. It's a 7 out of 10. <laughs> and I'm like, that also didn't necessarily sound right in my head either. I know. I really enjoyed it, but there were so many like cheesy parts. Yeah. I don't know. And when I'm like trying to, it's hard to compare Scream 2 to Scream 5 just because they're very different movies with different timing. But like Scream 2, I have the nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this opening is great. Yeah, it is. The opening scene is amazing. The ghost faces are probably the second or third strongest pairing, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, But I do hear what you're saying. There are some cheesy parts about it. And then the big spoiler, obviously, in this movie, is that they end up killing Dewey. Mm -hmm. And I was really thinking about it. I was thinking at the end of the movie, too, because I know we both, like, criticized the idea of some of the one-liners that they have. Yeah. Um, they're less cheesy than the fourth one. Yeah. And especially, I mean, even like some of the, I guess even in two, let's not even talk about three because it's just bad, but there are always going to be cheesy lines. Like the first two were made in the 90s. Yeah. They just, what, what is it? Oh, it's not today. And then Ghostface <laughs> is like, yes, today. I'm like, okay. Maybe that's something. That someone would say in response? I don't know. It's just like, that line doesn't for me, like, it doesn't downplay 
the rest of the scene because the scene is gory, it's graphic, and then it ends with like an awesome shot of Ghostface standing over Dewey with the two knives, like dual wielding, and just being like, it's an honor to kill a legacy character. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's that's hardcore. Yeah. That's punk rock. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm leaning more towards an eight that I think about it now. I'm more yeah. leaning on the criticisms I had of this one, especially of going back and thinking of my criticisms of the fourth one. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm, yeah, I'm between a seven and an eight. I need to watch it again to really solidify my score, I think. Yeah, same. So, somewhere between a seven and an eight. Yeah. <laughs> but not a 7.5. We don't do that here. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, time to wrap up. Uh, let's let's rank the things that are important: the movies, the ghost faces, and the motives. The mo- motives, mm-hmm. I should say, because those are the, the most important things, really, in the movies. Um, yeah, like the ensembles, we're not going to rank because we think it's pretty. We're pretty unanimous on that. It goes one, mm-hmm. five, probably two, four, three. Yeah, and I think that's probably the same for. Two, four, three. Yeah, that's probably the same for just ranking the movies in general. I would agree. Yeah, I like. I love five that much. That is, the, <laughs> it's the second best one. Even though two yeah. is really good. Um, yeah, this movie is better. So, one, four, one, five, two, four, three. Um, let's rank the ghost faces. It's similar, but I might put four in front of five. One is still the best, but I think four, five, two, and then three. Taking into consideration like the reveals and the killers and everything like that. So yeah. you would go one, four, five, two, three. I think so. I like the scene better in five, but I like the reveal better in four. Yeah, the reveal in <laughs> they're five very, they're very close. <laughs> the reveal in five goes very quickly. Yeah. It's like boom, ghost face. You're like, whoa, wait a second. Wasn't ready for that. Um so let's see. Yeah, I would go one. I, I think I'd agree with you. One, four, five, two, three. Yeah. Even though like Billy's mom is a great reveal, and it makes it sense. Is. Yeah, it is. I like that ending or that you know that reveal all the all the that. But yeah, <laughs> and then the modems. Mo- mo- I keep saying modems. The motives, motif, <laughs> the reason. Hobostank. <laughs> How are you rating him? Because I, I like the I like the motive of five way more than the motive of four. In terms of the ranking, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm the same. I'm just like when I'm thinking of the reveals, I'm putting the motives in there. Right. It's hard for me to separate them when thinking about it like that. Yeah, I just love the whole theme of super fans wanting to make a better movie. I know, me too. Yeah, they were on the Reddit forums. But it's really close to the idea of Sydney's cousin wanting to be Sydney. Yeah. Because that's something so relatable, especially during that time in 2011, of the idea of things starting to go viral and how to become famous in the modern world at that time. Yeah. And even it's become crazier now, right? And that's why you get the super fan theme in the fifth one. So without the fourth one, you don't get the fifth one. But I think it's just executed better and kind of explained a bit better. And there are some better lines with uh, Amber being like, 
oh, wait, no, 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 no. I, I was radicalized by the internet. And I'm like, that's funny. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. But I also love that Jill just is like, cool, thanks for doing my bidding. Time to die. I don't know. And also you get that awesome scene with, with Jill like throwing herself through the glass table. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. They're really close. They are. They are. How are you feeling today about it, though? Rank them. The motives? Yeah. One. One. <laughs> Obviously, it's one. Well, I think I had to do one, four, five, two, two three. three. Yeah. I will go one, five, four, two, three. I hold the fifth movie in such regard. I yeah. love that movie so much. Um, so, yeah, that was our screen retrospective. Um, excited to do it. Um, bit of a longer episode today, and I know I think Natalie has a meeting, and I've kept her too long, so I apologize. Um, but yeah, we're gonna do these more now, especially I think Texas Chainsaw will be a fun one to do, especially yeah. there's some real bad movies in that franchise. Um, I know, I have to, I'm gonna have to rewatch most of them because I think I've just blocked them out of my oh, mind. Oh, there's some bad, so bad. Ones. yeah, <laughs> like you thought, like, oh, 61% for a fourth movie that's pretty high right yeah it is yeah until we get into texas chainsaw um so yeah hope you enjoyed it go see scream 5 again if you feel comfortable doing so it is it is worth it the the money it's it's great um and yeah and i think too that it should be on paramount plus soon i saw people talking about it on twitter oh. Even though that Twitter's not an official source, but that's the rumor going around that it should be on Paramount Plus soon. Good, good. Insider Natalie Zamora. Who knew? <laughs> Twitter user Natalie. Oh. <laughs> Frequent Twitter user Natalie Zamora, <laughs> aka Film Insider. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, this was super fun. Love talking about Scream, especially after the success of the fifth one. I definitely hold this franchise up to a high regard compared to other horror movie franchises and yeah definitely super super fun thanks everyone for listening we'll be back with a new episode about something completely different that has yet to be determined but it'll be fun and thanks for listening save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.